Whence come we? Where are we going? Why are we here? Uh, what do we owe each other? What do we owe the gods? Um, how to be happy in a world that is that swirls with sadness? You are listening to End of Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Yes, Rachel, this is your great podcast in the sky, And If Love Remains. I am your benevolent and virtuous host, Mike Levitt. And we have some of my favorite people here with me today uh, with the, on the show. We've got the Lion of Liberty, Joey Wolverton. Hello. <laughs> We've got the uh, lacrosse. <laughs> Of mainstream, I have no idea. The stud himself, Stephen Levitt. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and James Russell. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Again, he's one of my favorite people. Glad to have him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quick. Uh, quick note before we get into our subject. Um, um, I just for you listeners out there, you probably noticed that I haven't had as many episodes come out the last couple weeks has been a little bit slower than natural. I've been um, having a few health problems, nothing too serious, nothing that a knife or a machete couldn't take care of. So we'll, we'll be fine. But uh, look, once I get back on my feet, we'll be doing more episodes. But I just want to let you know that that uh, um, Land of Love Remains is still alive and kicking, and we're going to be doing some great stuff coming up. We have excellent plans in the works. Um, we're, I'm excited to have these folks here. We're going to we're going to do a little preview um, of a, a book club that that uh, Joey's put together, where we're going to talk about something that is kind of hot in the world today. Something that that a lot of people are exploring, discovering, um, and and finding really useful in their lives. And that's that's the the great uh, book of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Um, talk to us a little bit about, give us a little intro on that book. Yeah, so Marcus Aurelius, uh, emperor of Rome, um, known as one of the good emperors. Um, if they have to put good in front of it, you know, you're, you know, it's kind of like when they have to put male in front of your job, yeah. male yeah. nurse. Do, do something they don't have to say male first. You know what I'm saying? So if you're going to be emperor of Rome and they have to say good, that should tell you all you need to know about emperors of Rome. But um, so Marcus Aurelius, he, uh, he subscribed to the uh, Stoic philosophy, um, and this book, Meditations, is what you might, it's basically his journal, basically his commonplace book, uh, as he was on maneuvers with the army, uh, as he was deployed in certain, um, in certain places with the army, uh, the army of Rome, he would take time to write down his thoughts like we all should. In fact, um, you know, there's no doubt that someday, you know, there will be somebody who today is, you know, hid and unregarded who centuries from now, someone will study that person's uh, commonplace book, that person's journal, provided that you do the things that Marcus Aurelius did, which is in meditations is really think deeply about what does it mean to be alive? What are, what is the obligation of a human being? Whence come we? Where are we going? Why are we here? Uh, what do we owe each other? What do we owe the gods? Um, how to be happy in a world that is 
that swirls with sadness. You know, even if one is, to use the famous uh, Judge Bork's phrase, even if one is slouching toward Gomorrah, how can one uh, bear it with uh, equanimity? How can you be sort of, and, and today the word stoic has come to mean emotionless, practically, right. which Marcus Aurelius would, and he absolutely uh, expressly denies that charge in meditations. You know, he says, emotionless are the ignorant or the pretender, right? Those people are emotionless. What he's saying is conquer your emotions, make them fit to whatever's happening, right. not to get too high, not to get too low, but appreciate the thing for what it is, isolate the, the impulse, whether it be good or bad. Why is it good or bad? Are you saying something is good because of the provenance of that thing? And if so, that's wrong, right? That, isn't, that doesn't make something good or bad. And so to my way of thinking, I have always, since high school being introduced to this, wanted to be stoic. I found it, I find it, uh, most uh, resonant with my nature, that I, I like the philosophy. Um, and Marcus Aurelius, he, I, I'm like Mike said, we're going to do a book club this summer, beginning the 1st of June, Thursday, the 1st of June, live via Zoom at 6 p.m. Central for an hour every week. And we're going to go through uh, meditations and just have really, I, I hope what become inspired and inspiring conversations about this. I think that, as Mike said, the philosophy itself has become uh, contemporarily uh, rejuvenate because of people like uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, there have been any number of, of stoic tracks written lately, uh, lots of popular YouTube channels about yeah. being stoic. And I think uh, we will go a long way toward rehabilitating that word in the minds of those who think stoic equals robot automaton. It does not mean that in any way. I think it, I will say, I think it does not necessarily that you have to be a man to, um, to, you know, be a stoic or to have that philosophy, but it is a very manly philosophy. It is a philosophy that's going to get you through difficult times. It's a, it's a, it's a very masculine, let me say philosophy in my mind. Right. Well, the very word virtue, you know, is veer, you know, manly. Uh, and I think Marcus Aurelius certainly would agree with you. He would say that women don't have the, the need for some sort of stoic filter right? Um, because of the differences in their nature, the differences in their calling. He makes that a point in one of the, the notebooks, one of his little entries in his journal here, um, that, yeah, women don't, they don't benefit as much as a man would from stoic philosophy because they, their lives are spent in endeavors not requiring that, as well as the fact that their natures require them to be a bit more um, expressive mm -hmm. of their passions, uh, because that is how one is nurtured. That is how uh, one needs one's mother to be, one's wife to be. And so men, yes, certainly. But, but I think that. that's one of the reasons why you're seeing an uprise today in that is as in a society that is absolutely you know, destroyed or, or tried to destroy any idea of manhood or masculinity, 
you know, uh, calling it toxic and otherwise. I think people are finding this kind of philosophy, grasping onto it as a way to say, no, there's, you know what, it's okay to have a philosophy that, that, um, uh, points out the virtues of, of man and what a man, what a man is and what a man could be. Yeah. I think the entire concept of the toxicity of masculinity, you know, evaporates under the, the light of the fact of etymology, the fact that virtue itself means manliness. Well, what does that mean? You know, there are, there are certain callings that one has placed upon him, if you will, by, as Marcus would say, the gods or the universe places upon male uh, human beings a different sort of set of obligations. They have to negotiate the earth in a different way than women do. And so the Stoic philosophy benefits them uh, more directly than it would a woman. Right. Um, and I think that I would really, like I say again, I really hope we can rehabilitate the notion of Stoicism because there is a bit, and I, I don't mean to use this in the in the way that the the woke crowd uses it, but there is a bit among some you know uh, you know stratum there in the in the spectrum of men who would use the term stoic for themselves and use it incorrectly. Mm. You know they they turn to this you know they they take this one sliver out of the tapestry mm-hmm. that being this. In, in, in control of one's emotions, and yet they ignore the rest of this rich tapestry that is Stoicism. And so maybe we can rehabilitate that. We can take some guys who by nature feel, I, I want to be Stoic. I, rep, I recognize the, the, uh, the attractiveness, as it were, of that philosophy, but have them take it on whole cloth, as it were, not yeah. just bits and bobs, but take on the entire mantle of stoicism, which I think women, everybody benefits, right? right. You're, you're a better human being, much like I suppose you could say with, with any philosophy whose aim is to improve your yourself as a human being, not just stoicism, obviously, any, any philosophy, any religious creed whose end is the, the perfection of mankind. So it doesn't have to be stoicism, but it just so happens that stoicism right now is a word that's that's bandied about popularly. Yeah. So I think reading together meditations and and this latest translation uh, by Robin Waterfield is such a good translation. And I I read the Greek original to see which edition to use for book club, and this one is so faithful uh, that um, I think we'll all. We will be enlightened and we'll all, I think we'll all be, regardless of whatever, for example, religious creed that, you, uh, that you've adopted, I think your resolve to live in accordance with those covenants or commandments of your particular religious dogma, I think your, your you know, spine will be stiffened a bit, your resolve strengthened by applying tenets of stoicism to your your own particular religious dogma. Yeah. And we're so blessed to have the corpus of the Stoic text available because a generation of young men who see are lost and disoriented and trying to find an authentic masculinity uh, have these, can go ad fontes, 
can go back to the sources and find a healthy, rich, thriving, intellectual vein. There are so many young men who are lost looking on the internet for masculinity and finding it in unhealthy avenues. And yet the Stoic texts are here offering a way of thriving and of thriving as an, as an authentic male with deep and ancient roots. And that's why I'm so glad that of all the avenues available to reclaim one's manliness, the Stoic texts are ready and available in new translations like these. Yeah, I think, you know, using the phrase ad fontes is something that, you know, from the source, um, that's something that I preach all the time is, you know, don't drink downstream. Mm-hmm. As much as I, I respect and actually I like Jordan Peterson, for example, he might be your entree to something like this, but don't let that be your, your you know, your corpus of stoicism, as James said. We actually have this available in English I mean, if you're going to use the Project Gutenberg or Online Library of Liberty has a free edition, you can read all the Stoic, the entire corpus of Stoic text, you can read for free in English 24 hours a day, which I think with that comes a bit of um, accountability, you know. Yeah. there There is some accountability if, you know, the universe, if you look at it from a Stoic point of view, the, the universe destined for you to come into existence on this plane at this time. And well, you, you owe something to the universe for, for that um, beneficence, right? You owe something to the universe for having blessed you to be where, gosh, you can type in the words, you know, Marcus Aurelius meditations and have no end of free, uh, free uh, editions of the text. And you needn't read Greek, uh, and, but the, yeah, don't drink downstream, get your, you know, get your, um, you know, your Seneca, uh, another great text, the, uh, you know, on the, on the brevity of life. I mean, if you want to, and, and, you know, all of the Stoics have that in mind, you know, you don't know when you're going to die. And they say, but it doesn't really matter either. He says, if you're, what does he say? If you're three days old or three times the age of Nestor, it matters not because your, your obligation, your responsibility is the same. Live a virtuous life yep. and do only that which is necessary to human beings and not only do those things which are necessary, but do them in the right way and you will put yourself eternally on a trajectory toward perfection. And, and the, again, these ideas, like they, they totally... Um, echo. I was just thinking about the movie we saw, RRR, with the, um, there's a scene where one of the, um, where he's uh, the main characters, one of the main characters is in prison and he's, and he's doing, and, and, and he, uh, and he recites a, uh, I can't remember the, a, a um, Sanskrit. Sanskrit text, which basically said, I, I don't care about the, um, you know, the, the end of, of, or the reward or, or getting the goal. What matters is that I do the thing that I, you know, that's a very kind of stoic idea of like, you, you just, you know, where you are is where you are. As, as Gandalf said, you know, it, it, you, you can't control what time you're put in. What you can do is, is control what you do with the time that you have. 
Yeah, that's very stoical. And yes, that is what you're talking about from RRR. Yeah, you can't, don't think of the destination, think of the process as its own reward. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's true. If you, you may not, I remember hearing a talk one time from a church leader. It's like, you know, the, the, the days of man may be numbered to God. We don't know for sure. You know, an offhand comment in the, in the New Testament doesn't make that doctrine necessarily, but let's assume in arguendo that every one of us, our days are numbered to God. Well, you cannot then lengthen your time nor shorten it, but you can make it fuller, right? It's not, it's not how many years you lived, right? It's how you lived during those years. And that's, yeah, that's exactly the the stoical way of of looking at your life. And I, I think it's, you know, as I was telling you the other day, Mike, I, you know, rereading this for book club and just refocusing myself on some basic tenets of stoicism, just the doing what's necessary and doing those necessary things in the right way. And he says, look, most everything you do or say as a human being is unnecessary. And therefore, it takes from the necessary things time that could be used to do them better. So you, 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 know, you kill two birds with one stone. You eliminate unnecessary things from your life, and you are able thereby to devote more time to accomplishing those necessary things. And that's a great blessing. But I thought if you want to, we could just read a little bit here and just jump in a discussion. Let's do it. All right. So this is from uh, Notebook 5, paragraph 15. He says, a human being should pay no attention to things that aren't proper to him as a human. Such things make no demands of him as a human being nor are they guaranteed by his nature as a human being, nor do they fulfill human nature. So the end of human life isn't located in them either, nor are they good, because goodness is what the end of human life is all about. Now, anybody want to jump in and pull that apart? I'm reminded of the observation you made earlier, Joe, that there's such an abundance of material available so readily and easily accessible on Aurelius, on the classical wisdom texts in general, that we're almost left without an excuse to avoid our own ennoblement. That if we are called to live fully, efficiently, maximizing each moment for the maximal good, we're not lacking in resources. Anyone with a phone can access the greatest thoughts ever articulated. And it makes me wonder what kind of guidance we need to help encourage people or usher people towards accessing these texts because it's not through lack of availability. It's through lack of will or lack of lack of having the praxis of knowing where to look in the first place. I think, yeah, I think you've hit on something really important. And you, particularly being a, a high school teacher, is something that I found. James and I used to teach at the same, or he still teaches there. I used to teach at that high school as well. And something that struck me early on is, is the lack of familiarity. They, these people, you know, you've got these young men who in ages past would have been able to quote chapter and verse of Marcus Aurelius or uh, Livy or Plutarch or any any number of people like that. 
But these are names they've never heard because over a century ago, education was co-opted and it's no longer, you know, a, a, a journey of, you know, climbing Parnassus. It's, it's now rather just keep you down here, turn you into, and I don't want to get into a whole education thing, but to turn you into a good worker, a good soldier, uh, very much, yes, sir, yes, sir, that kind of thing. Whereas education was once, like I say, it was your ascent up Parnassus so that when you got there, you saw things differently than other people. And so it's like, if you consider education, I mean, educare, to lead out, where are we leading people in education today? Whereas I don't know, I mean, myself, when I taught, I just said, forget it. We're not going to study this rubbish that they want us to study. We're going to study Homer. We're going to study Livy. We're going to study Tacitus. We're going to, you know, all of these wonderful things. We're going to study this stuff that makes men, men, Mm -hmm. that ennobles. That was a perfect word, James. We are left without excuse if we go from being ennoble to ignoble. It is our own fault, and it is my personal belief that we will be held accountable, not only for the so-called bad things we did, but for the good that we could have done and did not do. And to me, that means accessing. There's no excuse to be involved in anything, as he just says, anything that doesn't propel you toward the purpose of human life. And the purpose of human life is what? goodness right to be there's no reason to be but here's here's the thing there's two things and one thing was touched on both of you touched on which is that that they just don't know just don't know and then and there there are few if any mentors available to show them the way um so that's number one but number two is that same device that gives them access to all the classical literature and all the great works in the world the shakespeare and anything else for free also gives them access to so many distractions and um, so many um, things that are not good for to be human. Right, and thereby comes the the personal accountability. When I was a child, I thought as a child. When I right. and I put away childish things. So, and this comes with the stoic concept of nothing is per se good or bad. Right, this phone is it good? Well, do you put it to good use? Is it bad? Well, yes, if you put it to, to ill use, it's bad. And so it's like, you. I think the you know, it's kind of like you want to familiarize, popularize, I guess, these texts because I was always taught when I played football in school, you rise to the level of competition. So, so often you'll have a really great team lose to a rubbish team because they get in their head, we don't have to play hard. These guys are never going to beat us. Mm-hmm. And you end up losing to a team you should have obliterated. And I think the same is true for our natures in general. You rise to the level of competition. If you think you are a base, practically just you know a notch above the animals, and you never are shown a través de these texts, you're never shown that you are something more noble. You are made in the likeness and image of God, etc. When you're not shown that, you don't know that. But once you do know that, then you increase that that spark. You, as was it Plutarch said, you you kindle, right? You kindle that that uh, spark in someone. And I think that putting into play what Marcus says here, you know. What is necessary to humans? 
that which propels humans toward their purpose for being here. What is your, and this is what I love about meditations. This dude goes through his head. He's like, okay, so what, why am I here? To be good. Right. You know, to be good is the end or the purpose of human life. And in that same vein of pursuit of the good, I think it's important because we've been talking about distractions a lot. Um, to I think it's important for young men like myself to understand that distractions are everywhere and the life we're given is a worthy enough opponent as it is that to take on more than what is necessary is too much. And it doesn't make us stronger to take more than what is necessary. It just gets us more distracted and more away from those tenets that could lead us to that goodness. That's, yeah, that's a really solid point because that, you know, when you pay, everyone talks about how busy they are and these distractions, when you think of the etymology of the word distraction, I mean, in Latin, what does it mean? It means to take you off the path, to take you off the track. Well, what, what track? Well, the track toward perfection, toward being the ultimate good. And everybody talking about how, you know, Stephen was just saying we are all agreeing. I mean, Stephen, how old are you? 22. 22, and I'm older than that. The rest of us are older than that. And we're all saying that we were all sleep deprived. And that's that's the lament of, of modern man. We're all sleep deprived. And there's a million things. But pare down that list. Do yourself the, the solid to your soul, if not to your schedule. Do the you know, do good to your soul by paring down that list of things to which you were devote yourself. And do that which is necessary. And like, like I said to you, Mike, the other day, it's like, for example, if I say, you know, uh, I want to be a good writer, you know, necessary to me is, is to provide a living. And so I do that through writing. Okay, so that is necessary. And uh, that's my natural obligation as a man is to provide so for my family. So I say, okay, that is a necessary thing. How can that thing be done correctly using in mind the purpose, the end, as the philosophers call it, the purpose of that thing? And so it gives you such freedom. It's, it's remarkable how, how free you become when you devote yourself to doing the necessary things in the correct way. Because then you don't find yourself distracted in the Latin, yeah. right? You find yourself locked in, right? And which is a good thing to be. Locked in is a good thing to be. be. in the zone. Yeah, yeah, so to speak. Well, one of the things he says here is like, so uh, if any of these things were proper, whatever thing it is, if it's proper to a human being, then you should not scorn, neither scorn nor resist it. And we would find it commendable to have them. And a person is only a good person if they have these things, if they do these things, much like the by their fruit, you shall know them. You know, Marcus Aurelius is like, you don't get to call yourself good just because you know you should be good. Do you do these good things? And at the end of the day, he says, you're not truly human unless you're doing good things and rejecting, eschewing, completely uh, avoiding all those things which are not, as he says, things that are proper to humans, which are 
things that propel you toward that track, toward being truly good. And so don't come at me and say you're good if you are without the things that naturally belong to a good person. And we're choosing the best among many goods and many rankings of good. I mean, as I'm looking forward to this book club starting on the first, think about why will we invest this time in a book club? And of course, I'm there using a financial metaphor for something that transcends simple investment. Uh, But it's because when we're discussing these texts, we are affirming, bellowing out our own humanity, that this is what is natural to a, to a man, to a, to a person to do, to that once you've tasted of this high level of wisdom, you would never want anything less. It's like having the most gourmet food. You would never want to have the, anything of low class fare. And it's so encouraging to think as we're sitting discussing these texts, we are doing something that is deeply, fully, enrichingly human. We are living out the calling to be a man in this, in this time. And that's why we choose to spend our time in the discussion of these texts. And become, like you say, we become more literally virtu- virtuous by doing it. Yeah. This is your calling. This is you putting in your arsenal the weapons that you will need to fight against those powers, principalities that would have you accept a, a baser, a lesser nature than what you have. And when you do this, I mean, you read, for example, in the Bible, and in many ancient texts, you read of this, you know, council of the gods, right? One of the, one of the creation stories in Genesis, you know, let us create man in our own image, this council right. of the gods where they sit around discussing things, right? And that's what, when you do that, you are in fact behaving in the likeness of God, you know, for those who, you know, the the Jewish and Christian text, you are behaving in the likeness of God because you are doing what God says in the beginning they did. They counseled together. What does he say to Isaiah? Come, let us reason together. What more manly thing is there? You know, you can, there's a lot of things to which you can devote yourself. But as Marcus says, most of those things are unnecessary. And most of those things prevent you from accomplishing the purpose for your existence, right? And that includes any number of things. I'm reminded of that saying by, um, oh gosh, from Mississippi, what's his name, the author? Uh, his, uh, my mind is blanking. What's his name? Faulkner. Faulkner, thank you, oh. sir. William Faulkner, who says, you have to kill your darlings. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes you have to get rid of those things that you really enjoy because those things are hampering your progress. They're making you you know, you want to talk about alpha and beta. I don't know. I think alpha male discussing Marcus Aurelius, beta male, you know, doing, playing video games, for example. I mean, you think of the things that maybe you love, but maybe are not assisting you in this grand journey toward perfection. I just want to real quick point out a nuance that I'm seeing in this conversation that I really love as we talk about the best things for each 
um, each of our different souls and each of our different human natures, because it's really interesting to me listening to Joey talk about the ennobling of us and the, the pursuit of goodness as almost a pursuit of a breaking of chains and of a freedom and of becoming who we're truly meant to be as men in that virtue. And at the same time, in a similar vein, but such nuancedly different listening to James talk about the almost the passion of seeing the light as a personal gift and just to see those things work towards the same purpose and towards the same goals and to see how men together, when we sit down and reason together, how these nuances can come forth and bless so many people in so many different ways is really just inspiring to me as a young man. I think, yeah, I think that's the, the perfect uh, description of why as Christians we're commanded to, to fellowship is so that we can learn from each other these sort of uh, the many colors, you know, that the different hues of virtue, the different ways we can apply them. And, you know, when it comes to pushing back against the darkness, you know, there are two elements to that, to that, um, to that desire. There is not only to that quest, I guess, there's not only fighting the darkness itself, fighting against the darkness, but there is increasing the light. Mm -hmm. And so, you can you can do both of those things a la vez if you just if you sit around because guess what with the whatever hour or whatever we spend talking about this that's an hour that I can say to myself and my eternal spirit says you just spent an hour doing the best thing you could have done with that yep. hour whereas what would I have been doing otherwise any number of things that may have been nominally okay or passable and not sinful as such but not good using the word as Marcus would use it. So I have this benefit of now I am increasing the light within me. And I believe metaphysically light attracts light and virtue attracts virtue and wisdom draws wisdom to herself. And I believe that. And I think so you have this two-edged sword, if you want to call it that way, the, the, the increasing of the light and then the fighting of the darkness as well by saying to yourself, all right, I'm devoting way too much time to rubbish to unnecessary things. And remember, things that don't make you human. And why are they not making you human? Because they're not assisting you in becoming ultimately what human beings were created to become. Right. Right? Nigh unto God, as it were, right? And uh, I wanted to read this little thing here because the whole positive and negative, right? Fighting against the, the darkness and increasing one's light he, he goes on to say, in so he says, you know, if you do these good things, then that makes you a good person. And if you don't, then you're not regardless of what you like to tell people. But he says, in fact, the more, now, so pay attention to these words because these words are, are very, you know, well chosen by him. He says, but in fact, the more someone deprives himself of these things or similar things, or even allows himself to be deprived of them, the better he is. Mm -hmm. So not do you, do you notice there's yeah. such nuance there? Mm -hmm. Not only that you, maybe you deprive yourself of them, of these things that detract from your quest toward ultimate manhood, ultimate humanity, toward the ultimate good, exaltation, if you want to call it perfection. Not only are you good for... 
what does he say? What's the word he used? Depriving yourself, but perhaps allowing yourself to be deprived of them, which is an entirely different thing and requires a level of humility. Yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, how many times in, in our lives have we felt we've been deprived of something only later to find out it's probably a good thing that we were deprived of that thing? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, so, so much. And, but I think that that's something that needs to be really, people need to pay attention to that because today we have this, this notion, this overblown notion of autonomy that sometimes, you know, prevents us from recognizing the wisdom of others. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we are Whoa. depriving ourselves of eschewing these things that detract. And it's when, uh, particularly when it's said in a way that is uplifting, uh, encouraging, as opposed to saying, you shouldn't, spend three hours a night watching TV. Rather than say that, it seems more stoical to say, hey, you want to spend a little while uh, reading Marcus Aurelius? Yeah. Which to me says a lot to me. If my dad, and I had a wonderful dad, but if my dad had said that to me, knowing how I thought of my dad, I would have thought, he considers me on some level capable of discussing these things which would ennoble me. He would help me, uh, what is it? He would deprive me of these uh, activities, these pursuits, which do not propel me toward perfection. Again, twice the benefit. And if we just had those people, and if we could just humble ourselves enough to say, maybe someone has it more locked in than I do, that I'm not, you know, there's no need for me to constantly reject good counsel just because it didn't come from within my cranium. Right. You know, particularly you probably should accept if you, and maybe that's why he says, you know, if you want to be deprived by someone of these things, consider the, the nature, consider the, 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 the character of the person doing the deprivation. Is that a good man? And can you say, this guy's a good guy. He's not going to lead me astray. He has the fruits of a good person, of a successful person, of a wise person. I'm going to let him deprive me because I recognize that I'm younger or maybe even not younger, but uh, you know, ignorant of the things that he's talking about. And I'm reminded of what Joe mentioned earlier about the council of the gods. And there's something distinctive about coming together corporately coming together as a group around these texts, because I think a lot of young men exploring stoicism, it's a soul, it's a solitary internet pursuit, or it's following one of these downstream gurus who have, who are digesting and popularizing these texts for others. And that is a, an isolated place to be. And it is not good for men to be alone. I mean, isolated pursuit can't, lead toward living virtuously out in the world, out in the world of society. And that's a, that's a, one of the primary stoic virtues. Do not retire yeah. from public life because it is only by participating in public life that you can be an example 
to the non-believers, so to speak. If you do, if you retire from public life, maybe you know, maybe you do good for yourself, but you miss out on doing good for and to others. Yeah, because so, someone, some could say, well, hey, okay, I'm going to deprive myself of everything. <laughs> now I'm now I'm going to be good because I'm just I'm I'm only going to take in the good. I'm I'm not going to allow myself contact with other people that could possibly bring evil into my life or darkness into my life. Right. And brings up this whole concept of, you know, we have to negotiate, you know, these texts because they're not things that we're brought up with anymore. And maybe the next generation will be, you know, Stephen's kids will be brought up, you know, familiarizing themselves with these texts from an earlier age. But you you negotiate the world around you. And if you're this, you know, individual, solo, lonely pursuit of it, you have no, you have nowhere that can repackage it for you and send it back. It's like that Francis Bacon essay on friendship, where he's like, "It's a civil shrift. You can unload everything to your friend, mm-hmm. and your friend can pick through all this stuff and show you the good and help you, you know, get rid of the rubbish. And that's a good thing. And so, being able to read these texts together." helps you see, like Stephen was saying, the nuance between what James was saying, what I was saying, and just even the fact that Stephen points out the nuance. What if you were someone sitting and you're even listening to this podcast and by yourself somewhere, you know, I would say, first of all, come and join our book club. It's free. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. And second of all, do your own, you know, start, just get together with some friends and do this. And this notion, I wanted to jump now into this next bit because, gosh, it's one of my favorite things. Because the Stoics do require you to participate in public life. That's Marcus goes over this so many times in meditations. Do not withdraw. Man, you have Aristotle over there. Man is a political animal. We we need society to to thrive. We need it to achieve the the highest, you know. Uh, perfection of manhood. We need society. And then you have the question though, well, in being in society, are you going to be uh, surrounded, influenced by bad? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be less able to pursue the good because of the preponderance of evil that exists in right. public life? Well, here... Marcus has sort of a, an antidote or a, a warning, a forewarning of what to do. He says, "Your," because he talks about that, you cannot, you know, deprive yourself of society. He says, your mind will come to resemble your frequently repeated thoughts. Mm-hmm. Your mind takes on the hue of your thoughts. Dye, D-Y-E, color, dye your mind then with a succession of ideas such as the following. Wherever it's possible to live, it's possible to live well. It's possible to live in a palace, therefore it's possible to live well in a palace. He says, or here's another one. Everything is drawn to that for which it has been made and to which its constitution responds. What it's drawn to or entails its goals in life. Die, die your mind. It reminds me of the story, you know, that Plutarch tells of Lycurgus, who goes and has the, uh, you know, he's he's trying to sail the known world and put together the perfect constitution for Sparta. 
and he comes to Crete and he has Miletus and he notices that the streets are clean, the pe- there's no crime, everybody just seems to be sort of jovial and in a good nature. And he finally gets an audience with the king and he says, wow, did you do this? He's like, you must have the strictest laws in the known world. And he says, no, we don't. And he says, well, how do you get such virtuous people? He says, we surround them with virtue and they are insensibly softened to it, right? That phrase, insensibly softened, you will become insensibly softened, to use Plutarch's phrase, or your mind will become dyed mm-hmm. according to that with which you surround it. That which you bring into your eyes will either increase the light of your mind and your soul or in your ears, whatever, listen to or watch, that will either increase the power of your mind, the light of your mind, the light of your soul, or it will darken it. And it all depends on what do you surround yourself with? What, what, is, what impulses, what, uh, what sights and sounds? For example, Miletus told Lycurgus, even the, the songs we sing promote virtue, the plays we put on promote virtue. The stories we tell of our ancestors promote virtue. They are insensibly softened. And here's Marcus saying, look, you're going to have to be out in public life. How do you do it? Your mind will resemble your frequently repeated thoughts. Yeah. I mean, and what are you going to think about? You're going to think about the things you see and hear. The right. things that you willingly, with which you willingly Surround yourself. And I always think about it like meat, like marinating meat. You know, you can marinate a steak for an hour and it'll take on a little flavor of the marinade. If you marinate that steak overnight or two nights, that flavor is going to sink deeper and deeper into the, the flesh there, the meat. And so I think that of our mind. And here he says, dye your mind, man. D- color your mind by what you surround yourself what you think. And so I think marinate in it, man. Marinate, like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, there's no excuse to marinate in in garbage today. Right. In fact, that's what I was going to say is, is the mind is just like you're, what you were talking about, um, you know, with a phone is neither good nor bad. The mind is neither good nor bad. It is it is something that has been a gift that has been given to us, but whatever we put into it, what we marinate it in is what's going to come out. And so if we marinate it in trash, that's what's going to come out. But if we specifically and decidedly decide to, to marinate it in the good, to marinate in stuff that's going to be uplifting, marinate it in stuff that's going to, you know, be good for me and my children, you know, that now, now we're talking about it being a good mind. Yeah. And not even just like, what might come out of you, but what you begin to accept. Yeah. yeah. Like he says, everything is drawn to that which for, which for which it has been made. So wisdom attracts wisdom. Intellect attracts intellect. If you're constantly filling your head with rubbish, you'll be drawn to those situations. You won't be enticed to sit in a book club talking about Marcus Aurelius if your time is spent if dying your mind, marinating your mind in lesser things because everything is drawn for that which for has been made yeah. you you bring that stuff in that's where you're going to feel comfortable and that's where you will stay and it will just be you know aggregate over time 
that, and you, you find it, right? People say, I've been desensitized. That's a word people say, right? I'm de- I listen to this kind of music and now I'm desensitized. I watch these kind of movies. Now I'm desensitized to violence. Yes, you are. Yeah. And it will become worse and worse and worse, right? Just as you're marinating in this and it sinks down, you can do that with good things. And remember, what is good? That which, is, which propels you along the path toward human perfection. The ultimate goal of mankind is to be good to each other, to be good to yourself, right? And he goes on and mentions a lot of things, but die, I mean, if there's one thing, you know, die your mind. What are you, and the way I always presented it to students is, what are you dying your mind in? I remember when I was at college and I had a professor and Man, this this moment is seared. And you talk about marinate. My mind is marinated in this moment so many times because it's traumatized. I think I have PTSD from this moment. <laughs> it's like I had this professor, and he said, "Take out a piece of paper and write down the f- the five things most important to you." Right. So you know, people are writing family, education, religion, whatever. Right. And he says, "Now, for the next week until we meet again." I want you to take track, keep track of every, of how you spend every minute of your day the next week. Keep it in a little separate book and just do that. And so we do it. We come back the next week. He's like, all right, this whole class period, I want you to tally up the minutes and what those minutes were devoted to. And then we get back and he says, okay, now I want you to see if any of those five things are represented in the five things that you spent your time on. Not one of mine. Not one of my top five uh, activities, things to which I devoted my time, or any of the five things I said most important to me. And this is where Marcus Aurelius, any of the Stoics would say, it is not enough to live. You must live purposefully. You cannot just exist, man. That's what animals do. Trees exist. Rocks exist. You must do something more than that, right? We'll, we'll what is it from uh, Addison's Cato? We'll do something more, Sempronius. We'll deserve it, yeah. right? Man, well, man is born to be great. Maybe so, Sempronius, but guess what? We're going to deserve great. We're going to merit that. And you do that by living purposeful lives, by eschewing rejecting those things which would distract you from that trajectory toward perfection, right? And just do it purposefully so that you don't come to the end of your life and you're standing there with God or whomever you want to think standing there at at this tribunal and say, okay, these are the things I taught you were important. Let's Look at the big board and see how you spent your time. <laughs> Number five, most popular devotion for you. you know, And none of these things are on your board. Right. You can avoid that by what? By choosing to do good, by refusing to do anything that doesn't make you better, make you more manly, make you more virtuous, by depriving yourself of those things or allowing yourself to be deprived of those things and to dye your mind in things that promote perfection in you. And it's living purposefully. And it's something that I think, you talk about pandemics, 
We have a pandemic of living, of not living pur purposeful lives. Right. We just want to get through. To what? What are you getting through? You know, use this time to, to stand for something, to improve yourself. I mean, to Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics, that spirit part of you is eternal. And you want to continue eternally toward perfection. Well, you're not going to do that accidentally. Yeah. And that idea of dying your mind and being insensibly softened maybe marks the transition between a naive stoicism and a mature stoicism or a complex stoicism. Because I think many seekers who find stoicism on the internet or from popular speakers take on that naive stoicism that Joe talked about earlier, the idea that stoicism means being emotionless or being an automaton. And the idea that you're to be a stoic is in some ways to be the classical meaning of the traditional meaning of that term, but also for your mind to be softened, to be able to accept nuance and complexity. And that we find that through, through fellowship and we find that through mentorship. And I think that might be what so many people who are drawn to this philosophy today, as it's become in vogue, uh, are seeking is to mature their stoicism in the company of others pursuing stoicism. Right. It reminds me of that, you know, from the Bible, the, the, the demons also believe and tremble. You say yeah. you believe in Christ, so the devil believes he's Christ too. What good does it do the devil? So knowing and believing that stoicism is some sort of worthwhile pursuit availeth you nothing mm -hmm. unless you purposefully live according to these principles. And, you know, try them out. Prove me now herewith, right? Mm -hmm. Try it out. See if it works for you. If it doesn't, even Marcus Aurelius would say, abandon it. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, I, I think along those same lines, like, like it's easy to have, I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of tracks laid out for each one of us yeah, and, and um, none of them, or hopefully one of them, but, but usually none of them are set down by ourselves. And that's the point. It's like, there's plenty of tracks that we can go on in, in, the, in the modern world. We can survive and we can get through life and live for the moment and, and do, you know, um, you know, get through the day every day, but until we're willing to lay down the track for ourselves, um, it's all, you know, it, it's, you know, vanity, vanities. It's, it's nothing. It's, it's worthless. Yeah. He says, Marcus Aurelius says, you can judge a man by the object he pursues. Mm -hmm. To pursue impossibilities is madness. And it is impossible for bad men not to behave that way. So That's you judge a man by the object he pursues and to pursue the impossible is insanity. Well, you have to define, I guess, you know, sort of like we say in the law, the threshold question yeah, is. Yeah, what's, what's impossible? The threshold question is, well, what do I want to pursue? Yeah. And then say, is that thing impossible? Why is it impossible? But the, the whole concept of you, you judge a man by the object he pursues. And of course, Marcus Aurelius, the Stokes say you pursue what? Wisdom, equanimity, justice virtue, all of that. That's what you pursue. And with that pursuing, I think we see the difference between um, what it is to be men and to be humans at all. 
the difference between ourselves and the other things of matter on this earth. I was reading in, um, I'm reading the metaphysics book by Aristotle right now. And he talks about the four causes or attributes of man, of matter. He uses the words causes. I'm using attributes because it fits my brain better right now. Um, but the four things that make something what it is, is first it's essence. Second, it's matter and substratum and what it's made out of. Third is the source of its movement. And fourth is its purpose. And I think we really see in being actors in our own environment and in being men that because we get to decide, it's almost like it's the opposite where we are not, we are essence first, but because we act upon ourselves, what we do is derive our purpose. And through our purpose, we gain that movement towards that direction. And from that direction, we can kind of come to an understanding of what we're made of and what our metal is. And through that, we develop an essence of goodness that draws other good things to us and draws ourselves closer to the highest good and to that which is human perfection and what is God. And no, that's, I, I think that's perfectly said. Um, and also recognizing, and you know, so the next little bit here, He's, we're coming up to one of the most famous, I guess, aphorisms of Stoicism. But he says, um, and this is a very Stoic thing, he says, obviously, he says, <laughs> in themselves, in themselves, the things of the world have no effect on the mind. They can't get through to it. They can't sway it. They can't stir it. The only thing that can change and stir the mind is the mind itself. So brilliant. Yeah, I mean... When external objects are presented to your mind, it has them, your mind conforms them to the judgments that it deems itself justified in making about them. And then Epictetus, there's a quote, quotation by Epictetus, he says, but the, so another stoic, he says, but the first thing is not to be carried away by the intensity of an impression. You should say, hold on a minute, impression. Let me see what you are and what you are an impression of, and let me then put you to the test. Mm -hmm. You literally, nothing can affect your mind unless you let it. And there's that, because nothing can get in. Right. You let it in, you can immediately, you know, you can immediately reject it, or you can take it and turn it into something that is bad or harmful or hurtful. But the only thing, I mean, that phrase, the only thing that can change and stir the mind is the mind itself. Right. The, the, we, we, see, we see the light in darkness because our mind is in our, is in our head. Like there's, there's nothing can get to it. I, I love that, uh, that concept. And, and um, uh, yeah, that's good stuff. I was going to say something else and I went, must have been untrue. Well, it's the, you know, <laughs> John Milton, the mind can make a hell of heaven and a heaven of hell. Yeah. You know, and I think that's absolutely true. And it comes to saying, am I going to let this thing, this person control me or not? It ultimately comes down to that because if you sit and you marinate and you let that external thing now become internal, because, but not because by its nature it's in there, but you've invited it in and your mind has now turned it into something more powerful than it ever would have been otherwise. 
right? It takes your mind to that. So you can develop a mind that isn't, and this is that stoic thing of not too high and not too low. Mm -hmm. There is high and low in the nature of existence as a human, but not too high and not too low because you know of the transient nature of good and bad, of pain and pleasure, right? He says that. He's like, if you get addicted to pleasure, then what's going to happen? Well, then all pain is going to be super painful. Mm -hmm. If you get accustomed to pain, then all pleasure will be super desirable. And either way, that's going to lead you away from the path of perfection. Right. Right. So avoid Well, and it that. distorts what the thing actually is, which mm-hmm. I, which I love, like, like see it for what it is and appreciate it for what it is and not over sell it or, 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 you know, thinks, think it's worse than it is, but it is. So here's getting into that famous aphorism. He says, the mind can adapt and alter every impediment to action to serve its own purpose. Something that might have hindered a task can contribute to it instead. Something that was an obstacle on the road helps you on your way. So the famous, the obstacle is the way. Now, you just, this has become one of those things for me that has made such a difference in my life when you say, okay, this is an obstacle. Fair enough. But is it by accepting that it exists, right? If it's not something that came about because I made poor choices, but if it's just something that, you know, came about because of cause and effect and, you know, the fact that we exist with other people and we exist in the world. If there's an obstacle, too many people will say, well, I can't, I can't keep going down that road because it's an obstacle. Whereas Marcus would say, well, why don't you, you know, maybe by climbing that obstacle, even though that's something you really didn't want to have to do. Maybe by climbing over that obstacle, it gives you a view that you never had before of the road. Maybe by going around, you end up meeting someone who helps you on the road, all those things. And it's just the power of your mind. If this seems like an obstacle, turn it into something that without which you wouldn't have been as able to carry on down the road. Yeah. And that challenges the idea of the stoic as the hard flint, flint like man, because this, those obstacles can be our own flaws, can be our own impediments, our own difficulties. And that's not saying we shouldn't address our flaws. It's saying that through our, our weaknesses and our flaws and our human frailties can themselves be among the obstacles that are the path we're pushing forward. Yeah, I mean, so, James Madison yeah. saying that I have a poor physical constitution. I yeah. can't go out and play and do these other things like I'd like to. So I'm going to use that obstacle to my advantage. And I'm going to read every book in my father's library and become a more intellectual person, right? I don't, that's an obstacle, but it turned him into who he is, right? Um, yeah, you mentioning that, James, he actually says that he's like, uh, these things may impede some of my activities, but they can't impede my impulses or my state of mind because I have the power of adaptation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the most non-stoical flint, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. rock-ribbed doctrine. It's like, look at this thing and say, 
Let all the other yahoos say that this is an obstacle. Yeah. Don't let it. You have the power of a, you have a powerful mind. Use that thing to turn that obstacle into something that without which you wouldn't have been as successful otherwise, Mm -hmm. which James Madison with the, and any of us, right? You know um, how they say, like, if you're blind, your, your hearing becomes more acute. Right. Use that, but not in such a drastic way. But, you know, if you, if you come from a poor family, well, you can't, you don't have the time and money to be surrounded by possessions that will, that will possess you. You have more free time through poverty, as it were, right? So devote that free time to doing any number of things. But then you say, most people will say to themselves, they won't say, I have a powerful mind and I can adapt. They'll say, they'll use it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. They'll say, I I was raised poor. My father was an alcoholic. Well, maybe your father being an alcoholic made it where you never touched the stuff because you realize the damage, the destructive force that it is. Why wouldn't you look? The Stoics, if you're really a Stoic, you would say, thank God for that because, because of that, I'm a better man. That obstacle became the way, right? And you can look at it in any number of things because what? I have the power of adaptation. I'm going to take this thing that the wider world would call an impediment and turn it into an advantage, you know? And that's the stoic way. The stoic way is saying nothing but nothing will keep me from pursuing perfection. The only thing that can stop me is me. Right. Nothing else. Not another person calling me names or trying to get in my way. Right. None of that. Not any physical impairment, not any poverty, nothing like that can get in the way. You're sick. Swell. Take this time that you're down. Read all the things you've always said you would read if you had time. Well, now you have time, mate. Yeah. You're sick. You know, do those things. Turn those those apparent disadvantages into advantages. Have you changed the nature of the thing? No. You've changed. You've adapted, you've adapted yourself, yeah. right? And that's power. That's power about anything, Mike. You know? Yeah. If you don't, you grow up in a house with nothing, no book. You know, I wish I had a thousand books in my library, but all you have is the Bible. Dude, you should know the Bible better than anyone else. Right? Yep. Simple as that. Uh, you know, there's that story of de Tocqueville when he comes to America and he's out in West Tennessee in the, in the just, he calls it the primeval forest. He's out there and he comes across this cabin and he's like, I went in this cabin. He's like, it seemed barely fit for human <laughs> habitation. He said, but there on the mantle was the King James Bible, the collected works of Milton and Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And he's like, here was this guy who you look around at his circumstances and you would say, this guy's going to be uneducated. He's going to be rough. His mind is going to be uh, you know, ill-formed. And here's a guy who can quote chapter and verse of Milton and Shakespeare in the Bible. Yeah. So go and do thou likewise. If you, whatever that obstacle is, make it the way, you know? And that's, you know, that's a, it's a liberating doctrine, man. It really is because you end up seeing a bunch of things that today 
serve you as an excuse in your path toward perfection, you end up saying, oof, maybe God gave me that to point me in a direction that I hadn't thought about before, you know? That's definitely powerful stuff. That's, I mean, I think, you know, we, I used to call that having a, you know, posy thinking, (laughs) positive mental. In other words, whatever comes across you, man, if you, you can find that way. And, and he says it way better than I did. (laughs) So, um, do you have another thing there? Are we, I think we gave Um, him a good taste. I don't know. There's, uh, there's, there's so much, there's just so much here, you know, use, uh, Surely, okay, I'll just do this last one. Okay. Surely you're not angry with a man because of his foul stench or his stinking breath. What good will that do you? That's just the way his mouth is. That's the way his armpits are. But as a human being, he's been equipped with the faculty of reason and has the ability, if he applies his mind, to realize what's making him so offensive, says one. Then Marcus Aurelius says, fine. But it follows that you have the faculty of reason too. Use rationality, your rationality, to activate his rationality. Explain things to him. Bring the matter up with him. If he gets the point, you'll cure him, and there'll be no need for anger. Yep. Be neither an actor nor a whore. Now think about that. What is he saying? Be neither an actor nor a whore, right? Don't pretend he doesn't have bad breath and doesn't stink, right? And don't allow yourself to be sold cheap. Tell, help your friend. If you have aught against thy brother, go thy way to thy brother, lest he esteem thee as an enemy. Right. Mm -hmm. This is just the stoic way of saying that. If If something about somebody is bothering you, first of all, think, what is it? Why is it bothering me? And then say, you don't know that this guy has no idea that it would be better for him in society to have not have bad breath. You don't know that no one's ever, he might've been surrounded by actors and whores his whole life, so to speak. No one ever wanted to say anything and no one ever wanted to uh, put himself in that position of having to, to, having the courage to say something. Right. Right. So we're all either pretending or selling ourselves short, right? Selling ourselves cheaply. Maybe this guy's been surrounded by that his whole life. And you say something to me like, Hey mate, I don't know. Maybe no one's ever told you. And and please, if I'm misguided here, but your breath is foul, man. Like a mint would not go, you know, would go (laughs) amiss in your life, man. And Maybe And he's like, he says, maybe he gets the point, maybe he doesn't. If he does get the point, now you have a guy who's living a better life. You've displayed courage, right? Everything works. And you have a friend. Because there's and, no doubt he, I mean. There you go. You, you know, guaranteed you have a friend. I mean, his, uh, no one can stop me from acting the way I want to act. That's just truth, man. That's just, no one can stop me from acting the way I want to act. So you better know what you want and how you want to act. (laughs) Right. And be confident 
yep. in those things which you are pursuing. Yep. Pursue them purposefully. Realize that there are things in this world that are necessary, that are unnecessary. Pursue the necessary. Pursue them in a good way. Be good to people. Be courageous. Be Exercise the power of your mind to adapt to things. Turn obstacles into advantages. And more than anything, man, take the opportunity, the blessing that you have of living I mean, you could you look at this as the obstacle being the way everybody always talks about how ready access to this piece of glass in your pocket leads people to distractions and to, to, to perversion. It also can lead you to the best books ever written. Mm-hmm. Make the obstacle the way. Don't give me this rubbish that, you know, you don't want to read it online. You just don't want to read it, mate. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, you know, because yeah. if you if you wanted to, you would because... No one one can make you act the way you do not want to act. You are listening to And If Love Remains. The first of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization down.